Welcome to the Trades Podcast, a podcast about the business of home improvement and promoting the trades to young adults. Perfect. Happy days, everybody. This is the Trades Podcast, and I am DJ Danny. And I'm Jeff Mudd. Exciting day here. Yes, right. Yeah, exciting day right here, recording in the Ignite BBB Podcast Studios. And we are joined over Zoom. So glad to have her on. Welcome, Kim. How are you? Doing great. How are you? Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Kim is the vice president and co-owner of GerstnerUSA.com, your Gerstner toolboxes. If you could, yeah, introduce yourself into the wonderful podcast world, um, into the trades industry and what we're doing and promoting it to the young adults and uh, introduce yourself and, and the company. Gershner and Sons, it's a family owned and operated woodworking business. We manufacture wooden tool chests, jewelry chests, gun cases, all, all kinds of custom chests, primarily tabletop items, but we do custom items as well. And we've been in business since 1906, so 117 years now. I am fourth generation. My great grandfather started the business. So it is pretty much a passion. It's, it's not just a commitment, it's a passion. Um, and we we enjoy over the last four generations of, of changing with the times and innovating and and we have a couple of different divisions but uh, we've been pretty well known for machinists and tool and die makers mainly but mainly home hobbyists are who use our products these days so got our got our fingers in a lot of a lot of little pies there so. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 1906, you definitely made a name for yourself right here in the USA. And um, I mean, it's amazing to kind of talk to you a little bit uh, more beforehand. And, you know, like you mentioned, uh, Ford Ford Motor Company, they ended up uh, starting the business in 1904. And two years later, imagine that you and your family had started the business, the Gershner Toolboxes. And I'm at, and you know it's it, it's great to see where you are today and that you're still in business and being able to provide jobs and obviously provide for your family too. Sure, we have uh, generations of um, employees that have grown up working there too. So we've we've had uh, parents and then their kids end up coming to work for us too. And I think that's something that's really missing in America right now is um, people can jump around from job to job when mm-hmm. it used to be you know you follow in uh, your parents' footsteps. You learn from your, your, your dad's trade, and your dad helps you get in on the front line of the, the Ford Motor Company assembly line or you know, sure. the, the, the small um, welding shop in town. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that seems to have gone away, so I'm really happy to hear that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and t- tell us a day, uh, possibly like a, d- a day in the life of of uh, someone that's working there at, at Gerstner with you and the, and the family. I know um, uh, if you're hands on or for you personally, what 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 is that? What is that work life uh, kind of like for you right now? It's it's interesting. Um, I do a lot of work remote because I do the sales and marketing for the team. So I do the trade shows and I actually, I live in Tennessee, but I'm in the main office about one week out of every month. I did start in production, you know, sweeping floors, stuffing envelopes, just like everybody else. So, you know, I can, I can work out in production. I think I've graduated from that, but every once in a while they'll pull me back in and, you know, Hey, we need to help assembling drawers today or felting chests or something. So, um, you know, a day in the life when you're, when I'm in the office, I could be out showing somebody exactly you know what's needed to felt a box i've got a stepdaughter i took her up there and and during the summer she spent a week you know learning how to 
felt tool chests and you know work there 40 hours out out in the shop and she found it immensely enjoyable so you can do anything from talking to people on the phone quoting a restoration chest because a lot of our our chests they they go through generational usage yeah so typically we'll have somebody buy a chest and we'll see it back maybe after 60 years of constant daily use because a grandfather typically will pass the chest on to his grandson because he won't pass it on to his son because he's still working mm-hmm. by the time the son is entering into adulthood and, and his own career. So the grandson usually ends up getting it. And they'll send it back. So it's like restoring an old car. So we have a restoration department. So it's interesting to see those come through and, and watch their journey, you know, back the second time, you know, through the process. And we're still using a lot of the tools that we used when that box first went through production. Yeah. So we have a lot of our machinery is 60, 70 years old, along with some newer technology that's mixed in there. So we've got a little bit of the old and the new. So we've got a couple of CNC machines. So we have some people that do programming. We do hand fitting of every single chest. You know, every drawer is hand fit to every chest that it goes to still. So there's an awful lot of hand work. There is a little bit of, of automation to it, but everything is different, you know. Right. Uh, uh, that that's amazing. I mean, at one point when you have the ister- restoration department that will, you know, you have family members that would send in back old uh, toolboxes. Uh, do, do they ha- tend to be like some models that you don't uh, pr- produce anymore, or are they are they original ones that you always have in inventory, or that you it's something that you you and the team are always building? Uh, a little bit of both. Okay. Um, we've done innovations. We've always done our designs in house. Mm-hmm. So that makes it easy as we can go back and, and we can look at some of the templates, what we've used before. Some of um, that machinery that that chest was originally made of, you know, the drawer drawer department, that's largely the same. We've, you know, obviously put in new saw blades every once in a while, but the machine itself is yeah. the same. So um, it, it's interesting to see some of the boxes come back that we haven't seen mm-hmm. in a long time. But we have pretty much all of the archives from about 1900. Nine, we have some, but then majorly everything after about 1914, um, there was a flood in Dayton, Ohio, that Mm. actually we had not moved into our present location. We had the foundation laid when the flood came through. So we moved into our present location in 1914. We've been there ever since. So we have a brochure from every single year we've been in business. So we can kind of go back and look and see if, if an odd chest comes back in. We can even tell if we built it or not. Because once upon a time, there were probably about 12 or 13 other manufacturers that were making wood tool chests also, but they all pretty much died out or went on to moving, doing other things in the 1960s. So we've been the only ones in the United States still doing this for as long as we have. Wow. Wow. That's, I mean, that's amazing. I mean, you had mentioned like you started out within the production, uh, within the manufacturer um, side of, of the business. And I mean, from you said it was your great grandfather that had started out yeah. the founder of Gershner, yes. and I mean, the one thing that we've talked about on the show is is heavily is you know finding your craft within the trades industry and being able to build on that. Um, you know, throughout the stories, I'm sure family has uh, been able to share through you, and you know, the, the, being in a being a young adult, you know, and the founder of a Gersh, of the Gershner uh, toolboxes and. And your and the company, um, what was that? What was that story like, or what's what's the story that you tend to happen to share with anybody asking about the founder? 
He actually, you know, it's interesting because somebody getting into a trade, because I know that's something that you had asked me um, originally, Harry, um, his father was a cooper. He was a barrel maker. So he'd been around woodworking as a young person and kind of learned the trade from his father and decided that he wanted to be a pattern maker. So he was during his apprenticeship as a pattern maker, which was a four-year apprenticeship, which I think he was making six cents an hour at the time. Um, during his four-year apprenticeship, he noticed that there were other tool chests that were available for sale, and he didn't like anything that was out on the market. So he spent nights and weekends, and took him about a year, building his own tool chest. So while he was doing his apprenticeship, he would bring he brought the tool chest to work because at the time you had to bring your own tools, your own tool chest, you know, and use that in whatever job you were doing. And a couple of friends remarked that, you know, hey, that was better built than anything that was out there, and they'd like to have one of those. So at the end of his four-year apprenticeship, he had a $100 bonus, and he started the company. So he started building tool chests. But it came kind of from a passion of doing something with your hands. So my dad, you know, he, he would tinker around the house, and he was always into woodworking because he actually grew up and worked in, at the shop in the summers and, and things like that. So it's, it's been largely, I've been around woodworking a lot of my life. Um, it's kind of funny because my husband at one point, uh, when I kind of first met him, I walked into his house and I said, why do you have a compound lighter spotty? Why do you know what that is? So, <laughs> and it's just, I've kind of learned in my own home projects and, and things like that. There's a lot of things that, you know, with the right tools and because I have the know-how is I can do a little bit of finished carpentry myself. You know, why, why hire it out? So find something that interests you when you're younger and see if you can make a career out of it. Because quite frankly, it's not really work if you like doing it. So, I mean, you gotta have fun with something. Yeah. Uh, that that's huge. I mean, that's that's something I'm sure that you can relate to, Jeff, on on the uh, yeah. you know finding that craft and that passion. Absolutely. So Kim Kim made a point that you know a great grandfather, in the process of finding his place in life, you know had a little bit of background working with his dad with his hands and a barrel maker. I'd really love to learn more about that. That's such a uh, country western thing that yeah. I get into, um, but while he was learning to be a pattern maker and doing the different things, you know, he took the time to learn and hone his own craft. And when the opportunity came up to do something on his own, you know, he he took that opportunity. And I think that's something that uh, still applies today in this modern world. Sure, absolutely. Sure. We have a lot of people that that sometimes will make a second profession out of this, also. So somebody's been a teacher or, you know, woodshop, you know, teacher or something, or, or they've, they've done something with their hands and, and they decide, you know, hey, I don't really like the corporate world anymore, but I've always kind of, I mean, everybody at our shop is kind of a tinkerer at heart. I mean, yeah. they like, they like figuring out how things come together. They, they take very, they take great pride in putting together something. So at the end of the day, you've created something. You're not just you know, doing a job and, and you see one part of a component that goes through. I mean, we're, we're a small shop. We have maybe, oh, I think 12 employees right about now that are out in the factory. So a lot of them are cross-trained. So some of the people that work on first floor also will go up and work on second floor and vice versa. So they get to see the entire process. And we have times where, um, for instance, we have a sale. We used to have a, a kind of a tent sale, for lack of a better way of describing it, a warehouse sale in the summer. And a lot of the employees would come out and talk to the customers. So these are people that are that are putting these together, and the customers find it delightful to be able to talk to the people that are actually putting them together. 
because they can explain a little bit more about what they do. And then they get to see these people just being awestruck and, you know, basically adopting, you know, their creation, taking it home. So absolutely. It's kind of fun. You're talking about how the employees interact with the customers. You do that on another level too, I believe. You have a club that um, we do for we have an owner's box. club. Owners club. Yeah. Owners club members actually is another level. You actually have to own a Gershner chest to belong. You send in your proof. It's $30. And then we have newsletters that come out about three or four times a year. We have owners club specials. If you ever happen to be in the area, we offer factory tours for owners club only members. We have an appreciation day that's once a year that they get to actually interact with the employees also while they're during production. So they can do question and answer sessions while production is going on. We typically will serve them lunch. Um, this year we had a little bit of a sale and we happened to partner with the local brewery in town and they used some of the, um, I think it was oak and cherry and end up making a small batch, um, brew like an amber ale. So okay. it was known as the Gershner Pilsner. Oh, so nice. we had our own club day over there after they had been brewing this, you know, pretty much all spring and, and stuff. So that, that was kind of a good collaboration with, with people in Dayton, Ohio. Sounds so fun. it was fun to interact with other club members they get to meet with the employees um they have items that are introduced to them alone you know we'll try out new products on them first the newsletters that we publish has ideas that we have and say hey do you think this would be a good idea so some of those come to the light of day and some of them never seen the light of day Mm -hmm. and every once in a while we'll make special runs where we only make 20 of them and the owners club members end up buying them before they ever go to the general public Mm. so it's it's kind of an interactive, sort of a, a an enthusiast club, if you will. So we have about I think five hundred members right wow. now. Yes. Yeah. So. I mean, through, I mean, throughout the whole all all the years of being in business, obviously the the quality that you had spoken to of you know one your employees that you have that are able to jump around the different levels of the production mm-hmm. that are happening where I can imagine where it's like, Oh, you know, one day we definitely need more help in a certain part of the shop. And it's like, all right, well let's, let's get, let's, let's get the team, you know, start uh, moving in the production side and keep, keep things going. And, um, and you ca- that kind of speaks to the training programs and kind of like a career of how it looks in, uh, in your field of uh, being at Gershner. Um, like you mentioned, you started out sweeping the floors and, and all that. is that where uh, like a, a, an ideal candidate would start um, at Gerstner? I'd say you know someone with with a passion for working with their hands. Yeah. Not even necessarily woodworking per se. I mean, they could like to be doing DIY, you know, home projects and things like that. Um, you know, the the common thread of just kind of working with their hands, and if they you know pay paid attention to detail and and they're willing to learn, you know, then, then they do really well at Gershner. You don't really have to have any experience at all. We have some people that come to us that, you know, that work with their fathers, you know, around the shop and things like that. And some people that they've never seen, you know, a, a saw table before in their lives. <laughs> so it, it just depends. It's, it's something, it's not the exact same thing every single day. It is production work in some sense, mm-hmm. but you're not making the same widget you know, 950 times a year because we have different sizes of items that we run. So we, we call them lots. So it's a production lot and sort of our ideal size of a lot, meaning the same style is 20 or 40 pieces at a time. And then we change the style and we'll make another 20 or 40 
of the next one. So, so you're never doing the exact same thing twice. Um, typically a chest might take about anywhere from 12, sometimes 16 hours to run through. Mm -hmm. Now that doesn't include drying time for glue or, or anything like that, but you can, you can spend 16 hours of doing something and attention to detail and everything is, is basically what we're all about because it takes one second to ruin it. Yeah. So if you're not paying attention, then, you know, it's, we, we have a machine that's, that's a stroke sander that a lot of people haven't seen before. And I had one of our employees describe it as far as mastering it. It was a lot like trying to um, pat your belly and rub your head at the exact same time. So it's just really sort of hard to master, but we have, we have a couple of, you know, tricky machines like that and, and things like that. So, so we have people that take a lot of pride in what they do. Mm-hmm. And like you mentioned, some 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 people have come into the the job and not seen the type of machinery that you have in the shop before. Um, do they mention if it's intimidating, or is it mentioned that it's scary for them to kind of come in, or are they like you mentioned, it's someone that you, you're looking for someone that likes to work with their hands? Uh, what's usually their response when they walk into a shop like yours? You know, it, it's it's a little awe inspiring. Um, our first floor supervisor, Whitney, she was she was telling me one time that she was training a new guy, and she was showing him how to put the boxes together. So all the components, you know, sitting there laid out, you know, flat in front of you, and then you have to put it together, and then it goes in this big clamp. So she said he was he was a little intimidated and he was a little nervous, and and uh, she showed him how to put it together, and she said it the transformation was kind of amazing. First of all, he put it together, put it in the clamp, and then he had to take a picture of it. And then he wanted his picture taken with the box, you know, because it was just like, look, I did that, you know? Yeah. (laughs) So, so it's sort of, and then, and then they realize, okay, yeah, I did that. And I get to do that over and over again. And then this goes to somebody's house and it could be an heirloom that's 60 years from now, whoever's running Gershner, it won't be me, but whoever's running Gershner 60 years from now might get it back for another refurbishing. So it's sort of a part of a story. And then when it clicks for people, you know, it's, they realize that, Hey, they can really kind of make a life there. And it's just, it's a very, it's a big family environment. So. That's great. No, I I love that. That, that's, that's the, that's the type of stories that I think a lot of, you know, young adults need to kind of hear to, you know, find their path within the career, like within the trades and find a career in that sense, because that's all it takes is that one box. All it takes Mm -hmm. is that one box to get that, that recognition of, you know, putting something together with their hands and being able to work, you know, within, you know, a company with history, obviously, and that would be always be great. But it's, you know, something that I think that the uh, new generation of contractors and business owners are, are building at this moment. Um, and I mean, you know, for for a lot of these, say, young adults that might be coming in to find out if if Gershner is a great place to work at and if they, it's something that they like. What's, uh, um, you know, what's something that you would recommend to them to find that path into the trades? Again, it's sort of pick your passion. What, what do you, what do you kind of like to do? Um, experiment with a couple of different things. I mean, if you want to go into home building or something, try and try and hire on with a crew one summer. See if you like it. If you want to go into woodworking, um, that there are a lot of places, there's arts and crafts places around lots of towns that you can go to where you can help out um, even younger people. They have like K through 12 programs whereby that they have, you know, after school projects that are that are artsy craftsy type things. I mean, try try and help out around your community. See if there's something that maybe sparks your interest and then 
find if anybody does internships or, you know, if they have summer programs. I mean, we, we've hired people straight out of college before. We've watched them have families. We've watched them move from apartments to owning their own homes. So that's got to be a know. great feeling, too, as a, a business owner watching the progression of somebody that started with your company and not only move up through the company, but progress through their family life and be more and more yep. successful. And knowing that yeah. they did it on their own, but you just gave them the platform to uh, be steady at that progression. Yeah, our vice president of, op of operations, we hired him straight out of school. Um, so watched as he got married, had two kids. Um, yeah. Now his kids are, you know, in high school and and um, his, his, you know, family life has been flourishing. They've, you know, bought a couple of houses during that amount of time. And so, and we, we see that happen a lot. So, I mean, our first floor manager, she has three kids. So, I mean. <laughs> Her her latest one, uh, yeah, she was off on maternity leave. I think it was last summer. So, all right. So, no, that's that's great, and I mean, that's one thing that you know, like you mentioned, you know, find your find your 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 passion, and that kind of you know follows up with, you know, you you end up having a certain pride once you find your passion. Um, if you can speak to maybe your experience, uh, obviously being a family business. Um, you know, it, 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 sometimes I know it might, it might feel like, oh, you, you may have been forced into this, but it's something that, I'm, like you mentioned, you started at the bottom, uh, really helping out on the floor and, and all that. How, what, what was your passion at first and where did you find the pride in, in all your craftsmanship that you found throughout the business? You know, it was funny because um, it was something that I kind of always wanted to do and my dad kind of discouraged it. He was like, I don't know if you want to do this. You know, you might want to find your own path in life and, and things like that. And and the more I kind of worked down there in the summer and, and things like that, I saw, you know, I didn't necessarily want to work on the shop floor. I wanted to do designing. I wanted to sell these things. I wanted mm -hmm. to get out in front of the public. I want to talk to people about why they have to have these. Yeah. You know, so my natural progression and my passion was sales. So, yes, I can put the boxes together. Yes, I can work out in production. That's not my passion. But, you know, my passion is make it is bringing these to market and making sure that other people can kind of enjoy, you know, a little bit of family history. Um, I've done personally, I've done some designing also. So just just having that ability to be creative and trying to figure out what we wanted to do, because um, like I said, my dad kind of discouraged it because he didn't want, you know, my brother or myself to be sort of forced into it or anything. We both chose it. So, and my brother has two kids and, and as of right now, they don't have any interest. So, I mean, his son is and I would say never say never, but his passion is, you know, is software program at this point. So I don't see him necessarily making a career out of Gershner, but, but there, that's his path in life. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's been an interesting journey for, for sure. So. Well, that's great. I mean, that's always good to hear. And I'm sure that the, it, that will, that will definitely tie into like culture of you and your company of, um, of, of, of your 12 employees, right? Yeah. We have about 12 in production right now. Yeah. 12 in the production side yeah. and, and everybody that's even on, uh, on the back end, you know, like you said, you yourself on the marketing, on the sales and going out to the mm -hmm. trade shows. Um, you know, it, it, the, the culture on that part, it's something that we've, I was talked about that a lot of young adults feel that it's super important and it's something that's been building with, I think within businesses nowadays. Um, 
what and, and I mean, you you had already had had some stories about you you teaming up with Dayton, Ohio, out there doing a little brew and different mm-hmm. uh, different items like that. Um, what what would you speak on? Say your culture there at at, at Gershner. As far as as uh, community, yeah, I mean community with the even within just uh, strictly with your employees and what what they can expect if. Like you mentioned, you're out there at the shop maybe once a week throughout every month, and yeah, I mean, I'm it, there for one week out of the month. You know, so. th- th- there's some um, CEOs out there at some big companies, tech companies, or anything like that, where you might not see them ever. Never. Yeah, you might not ever exactly see, might, not, <laughs> might not ever see them ever, and and th- I think that's a that's a good point to kind of talk on uh, for you and let everybody know that you know these. These type of industries that you, that that you're in, um, you know, it's, it requires, you know, obviously a fam, you know, the family business that it is, it, it requires, you know, a certain type of culture to continue throughout the years of business that you've had. We're very hands-on. So, um, for instance, my brother could be walking around the shop and he could see somebody doing something or maybe struggling with something, and he he would he would walk up to somebody and say, "Here, let me let me suggest a better way to do that." Or here, can I can I show you a quick trip the trick that I've learned? You know, because he also worked out in production. So you can expect any one of the management team to be completely approachable or found out in the shop, and it's not like, "Oh crap, here comes the boss." You know, watch what you're doing. It's just you know. <laughs> It's we're we're up there and we're always asking questions and we're also learning because we have employees and and we welcome it. They come to us every once in a while and say, hey, I know that we've got a reason for doing this particular operation this way, but have you thought about it doing it this way? So our employees, I mean, have even brought to us some innovations that have helped with production as well. So um, we've had some of our employees that will even go so far as to suggest new products for us as well, too. So it's kind of an open environment in that um, it's very welcoming. So it's it's everybody is approachable. You'll expect to see anybody kind of anywhere in the shop at any given time. Our um, our office manager she also helps out with the shipping as well. So she'll be back and forth and and she'll be talking to people. So I'm not sure that anywhere in our company that everybody doesn't know everybody somehow. Yeah, one, so. one one of the things in a, a culture that you can set up is allowing for failures. So if you have an employee that comes up with a new idea, you allow them to try it. You might have an opinion on what's going to happen, and you might 100% know the outcome. But if you allow that creativity to flow, allow for the failure or the success, it creates a culture of innovation within the company. Do you find that happens at yours? We absolutely do. We absolutely do. We'll we'll allow people to um, do some trial and error. We call those seconds. Okay. <laughs> so if something if something doesn't come through exactly as planned, but it's still a sellable item, we call them seconds, and we do sell them and offer them, offer them at a factory discount. But um, yeah, we have we have a lot of uh, trial and error stuff, and and there is you know room for error, and and we still you know it's so somebody knows that. I mean, not everything is going to be perfect 100 percent of the time. I mean, that's just that's not. It's not something that's that's doable. So we we have built in the allowance for you know mistakes here and there, or trial and error, or okay. you know, hey hey, let's give this a whirl and see if it works. And it's like, well, that was an idea. Maybe mm-hmm. we won't try that again. You know, <laughs> <laughs> or hey, that was a good idea. Let's put that into practice. Let's do this more often. So um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say 
if you walked out on the shop floor and asked anybody if they felt that they had an idea, if they could take it to somebody in management, I don't think anybody would say no. Great, great. I think they'd say that, you know, they're, they're open to the idea. So. And I got another question for you. With the decades of uh, experience within the company, you've seen a lot of downturns in the economy. And yeah. <laughs> right now in America, there's a lot of people that are very scared about the near future of a downturn. Mm-hmm. As, a, as a company, being able to know that you've ridden out some of these things, is, is there conversations going on within the company that will help you prepare for this? Bringing the, fa- bringing the family together type <laughs> yeah, thing? Yeah, like COVID took everybody by surprise. Yes. So, I mean, that was something we were forced into the sort of non-essential, you know, so we had to shut down the business for a while. We uh, kept paying everybody even when we didn't have to for several weeks and then brought as many people back as quickly as we could um, to be able to do that. But we never actually shut our doors. And the way we got around it was my brother and his family, since they were all kind of quarantining together. They went down, they kept running production, they kept shipping, they kept doing everything. So, so the, the city couldn't tell us that we couldn't stay in operation because the people that were quarantining together were the people that were working together. Mm. So we were still able to get some things going. But if you think about the history of, of Gershner, we survived World War I. We survived World War II. We survived Korea, Vietnam. I mean, the Cold War. It's, yeah. We've gone through so many different economic upturns and downturns that, that we sort of have to have a backup plan to be able to to stay in business. I mean, we've done government contracts in the past. So we just, it's the adaptability of, okay, if we can't really sell tool chests at this point, what can we do to try and keep our people busy? So, I mean, what what can we come up with? What can we produce? Can we, you know, do we turn around and start bundling some of the, uh, what we call off fall and sell it as kindling to people, you know? So it's just, you know, let's, we always try and have some sort of a plan, you know, to keep things running as much as possible. So. Yeah. That, 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 I mean, that's speaking, uh, speaking to like a lot of the open-mindedness of being able to be versatile and, and, and shifting in the business. And, um, you know, you, th- there's some, you know, I, I would imagine business owners that will just say, this is all we do. This is all we're going to do. And we're not going to change that. And mm-hmm. having that shift in mind is you, you got to be a strong team to really be, and uh, to put yourselves in those shoes of, okay, well, we know we're going to be going into this scenario and being able to, you know, come together and make a decision uh, collectively is, is, is usually hard. I would imagine it, that, that it's, it's tough to co- come together on, on a final decision on, you know, unfortunately, if, if like you mentioned during COVID where if you had to, you know, furlough some of the employees and hopefully get them all mm-hmm. back. Um, but knowing that you got, you know, your family behind you, that you can definitely go back and keep working. And, and, and I mean, that's great to hear that, that, uh, of course, a lot of businesses didn't make it through COVID, but uh, that you and your family were able to push through and hopefully get back some of those employees too. Yeah, we did. We actually did. That's great. So another thing um, we hear also is if, if you check out our website, our items, since they are hand done, uh, they, they're on the pricey side. Um, I always tell people though, it, it is a generational thing. It's, it's built to last. So you hear stories of, Hey, my dad had one of those, or my grandfather had one of those. And when people look and they get a little bit of sticker shock, 
you know, I said, okay, well, are you still driving the car that your grandfather had? Right. You know, so when people try and justify, hey, I'd rather spend a thousand dollars on this new cell phone that, oh, I'm sorry, you're going to drop that, you know, and break it. And then you're going to have to spend another thousand dollars, what, you know, 15 months from now or something. Um, that sort of throwaway mentality has taken over our, you know, our culture. So that becomes a little bit tougher, but then we in turn have come around and said, okay, well, if this is a little bit of a sticker shock to you, then we started making DIY chests. So we'll get the chest, we'll have all the components there. We'll give you instructions on how to put it together. It will require a little bit of know-how and, you know, doing on your part, you have to glue it together. You have to sand it, you have to stain it. So those come in at about the third of the cost of a finished one. So we're still trying to innovate. We're listening to our customers. I, so. I think I miss out, Kim. That sounds like an excellent opportunity to spend some time with a family member that you're giving the chest mm -hmm. to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So we, we came up with that as sort of a gift idea. Yeah. So And a lot of the photos that we have of those is, is typically a grandfather with a grandchild or something, you know, working on a on a box together. So we sell a lot of those around Christmas and the holidays. And then in the summertime also, especially in the wintertime, um, when you have an indoor thing, and if you want to do some sort of a project, there's little jewelry boxes that we do all the way up to a full size chest. I think we've got three or four styles on our website right now that are do it yourself kit chests. Uh, so it's actually a Gershner product and you finish it out and, and you know, I, I hope my son does listen like. to it. <laughs> this podcast, I think, uh, we, I think we might try that this summer. Yeah, hint, hint. There's, there's a few dads get out one, there. Get one in and see how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a few dads out there in my life that I think uh, they, they would definitely put these to use for sure. Yeah, no, and, yeah. and, and again, everybody, if you have to go check out their website. Yeah, it's 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 actually like really awesome. All the items that they have up there, and you know the story that they have up there, and uh, check it out. So. Um, but what, one thing I was going to mention, I mean, I mean, you talked about how it's supposed to be a gift that's or, or an item that, you know, your, your, your toolboxes and all your inventory that's supposed to last, last gener generationally. And through the tradespeople, I can imagine anybody that's in your shop, if they had not really been in that industry that much before, I'm sure they go home and really are able to take care of their stuff a little bit more, fix things and, and really realize, hey, like, I mean, if I fix this myself, you know, it might be a little bit better than calling someone and knowing that, um, you know, that it, it, I might have to call them back in another few months or in a couple of years to fix this again. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah they're, they're learning some things on the job there that they can take and use in their home lives. Yeah. Yeah. So we do. I mean, there's a lot of things that we do there. I mean, there's there's some of the guys that are a little bit electrically inclined. So if we've got some of the machines that go down or something and need some rewiring or something, some of the guys are like, hey, yeah, I'll help with that project. So, you know, you, you can kind of learn all sorts of, you know, deals. My uh, great-grandfather made his first, um, his first table saw out of a uh, machine from, a, a motor from a washing machine. So, I mean, it's a little bit of ingenuity can go a long way. So, right. <laughs> and we still, I mean, we still kind of foster that you know, at work as well. So we're, so we're seeing a lot of these people, you know, they're, they're taking this home and, hey, I could do this myself rather than, you know, calling a contractor or something like that. Let me give it a whirl. Mm -hmm. um, and I've heard some people sharing tips with each other also, you know, hey, what'd you do this weekend? Hey, I worked on this. Oh, did you try this? You know, I mean, because that might be a way you could fix it also. And, you know, a lot of these guys are friends outside of work too. Oh, good. So. 
Yeah. No, I, again, that speaks to the, the, the culture, the craftsmanship, the pride that everybody has, the passion within the, within your, uh, your company. It's, it's really amazing to hear again, you know, uh, from since 1906, you know, it's just anytime I hear a business over a hundred years, it's just one amazing. And I, you know, as a small business owner, I hope to possibly have something even just past 20 years. So, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's great just to hear that. And, um, I mean, one thing I know that we definitely wanted to ask you, um, and, you know, and hopefully this has been just, you know, an awesome time for you to come on. And I know it has been for us just to kind of hear the stories and uh, your story and the family story and, uh, you know, the, the adversity that you guys have been able to go through, but what's, you know, throughout your career at Gerstner, you know, what's the one question that no one's ever asked you and that you've been, you know, wanting to really talk about? Oh, are we talking about me personally or for the company? Because that's two totally different <laughs> subjects. You, 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 you connected to the company. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I do. I have two things, probably. If, if it had to do with the company, people a lot of times, and, and it seems so simple, is people don't ask why do you do wood versus metal? What's what's the reason that you guys do wood other than that it's pretty? Well, there's actually a function because mm -hmm. whatever you put inside of a wood chest won't rust. So the tools that you're putting inside of a metal chest, typically you'll have to have a camphor rag or something to be able to take away any kind of condensation or moisture. And let's be real, the items that you're putting inside the chest cost way more than the chest itself. So, you know, that's also another investment strategy is, hey, everything I'm putting inside of this wood chest, I'm now going to take a little bit better care of because I'm not just going to wing it in there, you know, like I would a metal chest or something and not really care about it. So so wood naturally will um, seek moisture to kind of equalize itself. So the felt lining and the wood itself acts as actually a moisture sort of absorber and and the environment makes it so that, that things tend not to rust inside of a wood chest. So that's great. That's cool. Uh, I, I, I would, I wouldn't have thought about asking that, asking about that. I just, you know, we jumped on your website and, you know, knowing that it's like, wow, it's a lot of woodwork. It's, I mean, that's right. something that we know that a lot of your employees and a lot of people that we do speak with and want to kind of push this out to that it's, it's, uh, it's something that working with your hands, it's, there's passion behind it. And there's a skill that you can take on, like you said, past, um, mm -hmm. past, you know, when you go home, you know, you can definitely start working on, you know, some things on your own. And I'm, I'm sure you probably had some employees bring back some items that like, Hey, look what I made at home, you know, type of deal too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Plus it's a tool chest that you can put in the living room and nobody's going to complain about it. <laughs> it's not one of those metal things that you know you roll right out and put it in the dining room somebody's gonna have a heart attack right <laughs> yeah it'll look a little bit better on christmas like you said christmas morning too <laughs> a, a, a quick 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 little story kim and you can uh -huh. might be able to relate to this one of the greatest men i've ever known was my uh, uh kids grandfather on his side he was an engineer on a tuna boat Helped him clean the garage one time, and he had a metal toolbox because he's on the, the bowels of a tuna boat for many years. Everything was greasy. But anyways, I'm cleaning the garage. I go to open up the tool chest. Slaps my hand. You got to earn that, boy. <laughs> wow. What's in here? Those are my tools. I've earned them. 
You've got to earn them yep. too. You got to earn the right to even look in there. Then he goes through <laughs> the motions of showing me, and everything was wrapped in a greasy rag, basically keeping mm-hmm. it uh, waterproof from from rusting. Yeah. But that was his pride and joy. It's the thing Absolutely. he took on every tuna trip. So, one of the greatest men I ever knew. War veteran. Yep. Yeah. Lots of stories out of him. That's cool. But the way it tied back into having a toolbox that he's kept throughout his career was mm-hmm. great. No, that's... Yeah. Th- I, it becomes the thing sometimes that families fight over. <laughs> yeah. Dad promised me that. No, he promised it to me. <laughs> so it, it definitely his tools was. <laughs> yeah. No. Oh, and then we also have a uh, factory tour online. If you go on our website, um, it's underneath our how-to videos. There's actually a factory tour that you can take. It's a little on the longish side, but it walks you all the way through from start to finish. Oh, that's great. That's cool. I mean, and again, uh, um, that'd be great. If you could, yeah, plug in the website where anybody that can come in and uh, obviously check out, um, you know, all your social medias or anything like that. What would be the best way someone, if they're looking to find out a little bit more about Gershner, Again, um, anybody that's in your area, if they want to reach out and possibly uh, see any possibilities for career paths or just coming in to tour the, the shop to see if it's something that they'd be looking into uh, to jump into a career, what, what would be the best way to do that? Best way is you can go on our website. Um, you can reach out. I believe there's a contact us form. You can email us at gershner at gershnerusa.com and you can send us any kind of questions. We're located at 20 Gershner Way in Dayton, Ohio. So we are there Monday through Friday from 8 to 5. We have a showroom, so you can stop in and see us. Um, or you could just pick up the phone and give us a call, 937-228-1662. Awesome. So we still have actual live people that answer the phone yes. during working hours. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I believe it and I love it. It's great. Um, Kim, it's been wonderful to have you on the show and uh, to really tell about your story and, you know, the family story and uh, all of your employees that you do have out there. So we only wish you the best and only more success and, you know, uh, um, you know, to get over all those adversities that may come to you too as well. So we really do appreciate you coming on the show. Okay. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Alrighty. The Trades Podcast, I want to tell you about Sage IT Systems. I have personally met with Judy, who gave me the behind-the-scenes tour of how Sage IT Systems works and helps out their clients. They've been helping my construction company for a couple years with all the challenges of COVID, taking staff remote, server backup, everything a business needs from an IT company, Sage IT Systems has been doing for us. The support they're given to the Trades Podcast is fantastic. I highly recommend Sage IT. If you need a review of your IT systems, please reach out to Judy. Her cell phone, 619-743-5870, or you can go to sage-it.com. That's S-A-G-E-I-T.com. Thank you so much for your support for the Trades Podcast.